Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Well, good morning, Mercy Church. Good morning, good morning. I'm glad to be before you today. For those that don't don't know, my name is Pastor Richard. I am one of the uh, pastors here, and I'm glad to uh, be here. Um, For those that are new to Mercy, we have been going through um, Samuel, and so we just finished 1 Samuel. Now we're inside 2 Samuel, and so uh, there's nothing, there's no intro because they are, were originally the same book, but due to um, trying to make it um, reproducible, they put it into, into two, and so that's where we get 2 Samuel. And so uh, to get us caught up, uh, last week uh, we saw uh, in 1 Samuel 28 um, that Saul died, right? But, but, but then he came back as a ghost. Kind of crazy. If you want to know more about that sermon, go listen to it because it, it is crazy. Um, and so as, as a ghost, uh, uh, Samuel uh, was asked by Saul to give him a foretell about his life. And so, and here's what, and here's what uh, Saul, here's what Samuel told Saul. Um, he said, he told him that, that he, in his life, they were going to be defeated. He says, hey, uh, Saul, guess what? You're about to die, and so are your three sons. And so then inside 1 Samuel 31, that's what happened. They got defeated by the Amalekites, and then um, Saul died, and then his sons died. And the thing that we need to know is that Saul died on his, on his own sword. And so this is where we pick up inside 2 Samuel chapter 1 to where Saul has died, Jonathan has died, the Israelites have been uh, defeated, and David does not know that this just happened. So that's, what, that's where we pick it up as. And, and, so, and so before we dive in, um, I want to just give the note takers a warning. There are going to be a lot of questions. And so if you don't catch all the questions that are going to be asked during the sermon, we're going to post that online, but also you can find it on our social media uh, channels and whatnot. And so note takers, I got you. Cool? Cool. Awesome. Well, let me pray for us, then we will dive in. Uh, Lord, we are grateful that your word uh, has moments and passages like this. So where we're about to encounter a funeral-like moment with David, to where he encounters and hears about the defeat of his people, the defeat of a friend, the defeat of a foe. And Lord, what we see is this beautiful reality of lament. This, this lament, this, this, this calling that you call us into. And so today, as we dive into your word, Lord, I ask you to you, you, allow our hearts to wrestle with this text. And Holy Spirit, help us to respond to you. So Spirit, I ask you would hide me and exalt you. So Lord, we, we love you. We thank you in Christ by name. We all say, amen, amen. So before we get to this passage, I want to ask this question, which is the question we're going to be asking the whole entire sermon, is how do you want to be remembered? You see, 
one day, each and every one of us, we will go to be with the Lord if the Lord doesn't come back. But ultimately, we're going to go be with the Lord. And the impact that we make on this life will have an impact, whether good or bad. You see, see for, for many of us, we, we think that because we are living life, that we're living in this reality of neutrality, but there's no such thing as neutrality. Now, Dr. King, in his famous letters, in his, in his letters to, to a Birmingham jail, he speaks about this. He, he says, actually, time is neutral. He says, it can be used either destructively or constructively. He says, I'm coming to feel that the people of ill will have used time much more effectively than the people of goodwill. He says, we have to repent in this generation, not merely for the scathing words and actions of the bad people. Look at this, but the appalling silence of the good people. So fam, I'm going to ask you another question. The same question. How do you want to be remembered? When it's all said and done, what do you want people to say at your funeral? How, how do you want someone to lament over your life? What would they say? What would they do? The reason why I'm bringing this up is because we are in a funeral-like moment with David. This, this is one of David's most, most famous laments. This, this is a eulogy-type moment for David because David is learning about the defeat of his foe, his friend, his ace, his ride or die, Jonathan. He also learning about his king, what his foe, Saul, and the need, the need defeat of Israel. So as we dive into the text today, we're going to want to explore our realities. What was that? Was that? Lord, is that you? Uh, we're going to be exploring five realities of how we want to be remembered as we explore Davis and Saul's life. So with that, will you join me um, in verse one? You got it, say, I got it. If you don't got it, say, hold up, preacher. I know nobody's gonna say that. All right, <laughs> y'all got too much pride. Uh, all right, verse one. After the death of Saul, David returned from defeating the Amalekites and stayed at Ziglag two days. And on the third day, a man with torn clothes and dust on his head came from Saul's camp. And when he came to David, he fell to the ground and he paid homage. All right. So what is going on is that um, David inside 1 Samuel verse um, chapter 30, David just defeated the um, Amalekites. So David is from the tribe of, tribe of Judah. And then, but the tribe, but, but Israel, the other kingdom, they got in the battle with uh, the Amalekites as well, but they lost. And then, so David was unknown to this battle um, among the, um, the Israelites. And so he went back to Ziklag, which is in, in Philistine, just to rest and, and recover. And as he is resting and recovering, there came a man inside this posture of mourning, kind of disheveled. He, he came towards them and he paid homage at his feet. So David, kind of chilling, a little bit on edge a little bit, began to ask this man a series of questions. Verse three, David asked him, where had you come from? He replied to him, I escaped from the Israelite camp. So, David knew that Saul and Jonathan were in some type of battle. So this began to tip him off a little bit. He began to start to connect the dots. And so with a spirit of anticipation, David then asked another question. Verse four, he says, what outcome 
Tell me, David asked him. The troops fled from battle, he answered. Many of the troops have fallen and are dead. Also, Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. So David is perplexed by this news. He just learned that his best friend was dead from this complete stranger. So he asked his man another question, verse five. David asked the young man, so who brought him, uh, who brought him the report? How do you know that Saul and Jonathan are dead? So he's, so he's like in this state of the denial right now. He's like, hey, I'm not sure this is actually true because I don't even know uh, bro, bro over here. But then he asked him a question. He, he says, I happen to be at Mount Gilboa, he said. And there was Saul leaning on his spear. And at the very moment, the chariots in, in, in the cavalry were closing in on him. And when he turned around and saw me, he called out to me. So I answered him, I'm at your service, he asked me. Um, who are you? I told him, he says, I am a Amalekite. Then he, then he begged me, stand over me and kill me for I'm morally wounded, but my life still lingers. So I stood over him and killed him because I knew that after he had fallen, he couldn't survive. Then I took the crown that was on his head and the armband that was on his arm and brought him to my Lord. All right. So as we know, as we learned a little bit earlier, this man is straight up lying, right? Uh, and so mama tells us, don't, don't lie. And this, this man's lying right, <laughs> right now. Because what we learn is that Saul fell on his own sword. Remember, his, his, he, he, he asked his servants to, to kill him, to, um, but he said, I would not kill him because I don't want to touch the Lord's anointed. But with an unexpected response, this man thought that David was going to be excited about Saul dying. But that's not what happened. Let's look at verse 11. Then David took a hold of his clothes and he tore them, which is that's a posture of mourning. And all the men with him did the same. They mourned, wept, fasted until the evening for those who died by the sword. For Saul, his son Jonathan, the Lord's people, and the house of Israel. Verse 13, David inquired of the young man who brought him the report. He says, he says, where are you from? He says, I'm the son of a red of the alien. He says, I am a Amalekite. David questioned him. How is it that you are not afraid to lift your hand against the Lord's anointed? Verse 15, then David summoned one of his servants and said, come here and kill him. So David's servant struck him and he died. It's crazy, right? It's, it's, it's kind of bananas to see that, 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 that this man would get struck by David. But what's even more striking in this passage is, is that verses 11 and 12. Let's look back, back at it. And then David took hold of his clothes and tore them. And all the men with him did the same. They mourned and wept and fasted to the evening for those who died by the sword. For Saul, his son Jonathan, the Lord's people, and the house of Israel. If you look back at verse 10, it would be easy just to connect verse 10 to verse 13 and to take out verses 11 and 12. This man lied about killing Saul, but it didn't matter anyways, he get killed. But the narrator in this text wanted us to see verses 11 and 12. And the reason why I think he wanted us to, to see this is though, is though there's some consequences that need to be had with this man. But before David dealt with this man, he had to deal with his grief. So what does this mean for us? Grief can't wait. 
Reef can't wait. As his man was awaiting his impending execution, he watches David and his man well before the Lord. David is mourning. He, he is mourning Israel's disbelief. He is mourning their apostasy. He is mourning their hardened hearts. He is mourning their defeat. But he's also mourning the loss of his best friend. A guy who was with him, his ride or die. He's also mourning the loss of a king. His grief overwhelmed him that it kept piling up upon him. And his response in that moment was not to plow through, but it was to cry. We can identify with this, right? Moment after moment, things keep piling up on our lives. You just keep taking one hit after another hit. And you're like, How, I can't keep holding on. I can't keep ho- holding on. Well, you don't have to. You can grieve. Y'all, when, when tragic things happen in our lives, it is not healthy to push past the emotion. We have to grieve. That's what we see in this scripture. So some of you right now, you're feeling the weight of life right now. You're, you're feeling, the, the, feeling the, the loss of, of a loved one. You're feeling the, the loss of a relationship, maybe a, a betrayal from, from, from a friend or a foe. Maybe you're experiencing some confusion and a hardship inside your work life or inside your home life. You are experiencing a lot, a lot of grief. And I want to encourage you right now, the scripture is calling you to mourn. Do you know, Christian, that it's okay to be broken and in a puddle? You don't have to have it all together. That's why we have the cross of Christ. Jesus bore our sin and our pain. Psalms 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crust in spirit. And so when you mourn, the Lord is near. He is with you. But you got to face your grief. And my concern in this room is that many of us in this room is that we have not grieved the losses in our lives. So it is consuming us. How do I know? Because I'm guilty. I remember at age 12, um, my uncle died tragically right next to me. And I was told at the hospital by some family members, those who grew up in a black household, you're told, don't cry. So I didn't. I hadn't cried for a decade. And I stuffed it in. So I busied myself with school. I busy myself for relationships. I tried to numb my pain with all kinds of things and the running kept me exhausted and it kept me ruining relationships because I didn't give myself to, to my grief. So, so how about you? Some of you are in the same boat right now. You've been avoiding your pain, your grief at all cost. So you busy yourself. So you give yourself to work. You give yourself to your kids. You give yourself to your escapes, but you have not given yourself to your grief. To do that well, and this is what was helpful for me, is you need two things. You need spiritual mentors and, and spiritual counseling. You need to get inside of a group. You, you need folks to just to hear you just talk and counsel you with the word of God. 
But then secondly, you need to go, go to counseling. It was helpful for, helpful for me. And counseling and Christian circles get a bad rep, but counseling is good. It's God's means of grace for us. Counseling helped me process through my grief. And my prayer for some of you is that you would go to, go to counseling and process through yours. But we got to keep returning to the text. Let's look at verse 13. David inquired of the young man who brought him the report. He says, where are you from? He says, I'm the son of the resident alien. Then he said, I'm a Amalekite. So this, this man is a resident alien of Israel, which means that he knew the laws of Israel, which means homeboy knew that he shouldn't touch the Lord's anointed. But then he called himself in a lie. Then he says, hey, I'm actually a, a, a Amalekite. That didn't help because Malachi and Israelites don't like each other. And, and so it didn't, didn't matter um, because the fact is that this man misread David. This guy was trying to get a, a reward. And so he thought if he told uh, David that he killed Saul, David would be excited. But, but he thought wrong. Verse 14, David questioned him. How is it that you are not afraid to lift your hands against uh, hand to destroy the Lord's, the Lord's anointed? So, so we saw in Samuel, um, and this is the third time this phrase has been said. How is it that you're not afraid to lift your hands against the Lord's anointed? David twice had the opportunity to take out Saul, right? And we learned that in the past few weeks, but what, what happened? He didn't because he had a reverence towards God. I, I, I can imagine just, just David just basking inside Exodus 20, 22, uh, 28, what it says, you must not blaspheme God or curse a leader among you, or maybe he was thinking First uh, Chronicles sixteen twenty two, where it says, "Do not touch my anointed ones or harm my prophets." But it didn't, didn't matter what this man's intention was. His intentions got him killed. Verse fifteen. Then David summoned one of his servants and said, "Come here and kill him." Jeez, the, the, the servant struck him, and he died. For David has said to the Amalekites, your blood is on your own head because your own mouth testified against you by saying, I killed the Lord's anointed. Then, and, and then, then, then y'all, then what happens inside verse 17 onward, David moves inside this, this eulogy lament. Just, just imagine like this funeral moment where David is wearing uh, this robe and he starts to sing and, and starts to sing a melody to God for others to to um, listen to. And he says in verse 17, he says, David sung the following lament for Saul in his song, Jonathan. Then he ordered that the Judahites be taught the song of Bo and is written in the book of Jesar. These are two historical books in, um, uh, for the Israelites. So he told him, he says, hey, I'm gonna sing this song and I want it to be remembered for forever. And so this is one of David's um, well-known eulogies. And as you read it, you will recognize some of the language here. But, but, but before we get in, I want to, I want to describe what is a lament. And so you see the word, it says that in verse 17, that David sung the following lament. What is a lament? Well, a lament is, you look upon the screen, is a profound and thoughtful expression of a public and personal grief. In verses 11 and 12, we, we see grief expressed. It was messy. It was raw. It was snot. It was tears. It was all of that. But then a lament is no less sorrowful, but it is sincere. It's, it's a written down. It's, 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 it's an expression to, 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 to connect the mind and the emotions. 
That's why we need to need the journal because our journaling helps us process through our lament and in our grief. But many of us in this room, we, we don't lament. And so, and so, this, this, so this lament is going to feel just a little bit strange for us. But, but what, what I want to do is that, that I want us, us to look at the five realities that we're going to pull from this text of how we want to remember by looking at David's lament. Uh, verse 19, it says, The splendor of Israel laying slain on your heights, how the mighty have fallen. Do not tell it in Gath. Don't announce it in the marketplace of Ashkelons, or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice. And the daughters of the uncircumcised will celebrate. Mountains of Geboa, let no dew or rain be on you, or fields of offering. For there, the shield of the mighty was defiled. The shield of Saul no longer anointed with oil. So in these first few verses, as we look at David's lament, there's two things we need to recognize here. First is that David does not want the Philistines to gloat about Saul and Jonathan's defeat. That's why he says, do not tell in Gath or do not tell in the marketplace in Ascalon because those are the two major cities in Philistine. And so he says, don't tell because they will, they will rejoice over our failure. But then in verse 21, he, he tells, he says, I do not want um, there, there to be, to be, be dew or rain on the fields of, of Geboa. Geboa was the place where Saul and Jonathan was, was slain. And so he's asking, he says, I don't want rain or dew or any animals or any, any sacrifice to be made upon this hill, but I want mourning. I don't want blessing. I want mourning. Because verse 19, that's how, that's where the mighty has fallen. So what can we grapple from this text? What we can see is that our failures are often visible to those that are around us. Friends and foes, they will process our failures. Saul's defeat served and served as a warning for us. As David laments, what we need to know about our lives is that we will remember for how we respond to our failures. In this life, you are going to make mistakes. If you're 22 in a room, Newsflash, you aren't perfect. You're going to make mistakes. And, and the challenge is, will we let our mistakes and failures be our teachers? What we learn from Saul is that Saul did not allow his mistakes to be his teachers, but David did. David looked upon Saul and he saw his mistakes and he wrote this lament for us to recognize. Hey, watch your life. You know, um, for, for some of us, we, we're, we're, we're so afraid of making mistakes that we do nothing. But, 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 but can I encourage you? Your failures don't define you. They teach you. They teach you something about yourself. They teach you something about God. And so, so Christian, try hard. You have the spirit in you. Do hard things. Try it. But sometimes our failures can be a rubric for others to, to learn from. If you're seasoned inside this life, 55 plus, you know this well, right? You, you know that th there's things that you know that just by the look that we, we can learn. And so season saints in the room, we need you. We need your stories. We need your failures. We need to learn from you on how you persevered through with, with the Lord's help. We need you. But for all of us, there's two questions I want us to process through as we process through this, this reality of failure. First one is this, 
How is God using failure to show you areas in your life that, that need growth and refinement? Christian, God is using all things for his glory and for his, his good. And he will use the pain and he will use, use the good. How is, how is he using it to, to grow you, to re- refine you, to make you more like him? Second one is, how can you seek forgiveness from those whom you may have affected by your failure? All sending a grace to yourself and forgiveness to your, yourself. And so, so what this is getting at is that, hey, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to hurt people. You are. You already have. But how are you responding to it? Our life is hidden in Christ. For those that are hidden in Christ, there's no need to boast in, in yourself. You can boast in the crosshoods, so therefore you can face your failures. You, you can apologize. You can extend grace. You can extend love. But we got to keep moving. Verse 22. Jonathan's bow never retreated. Saul's sword never returned un, unstained. From, from the blood of, of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty, Saul and Jonathan, love and delightful. They were not departed in life or in death. They were swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. So what David is doing here is that he's reflecting upon the bow of Jonathan and the sword of Saul and how they won many, many battles. But as, as we learned that literally Saul and Jonathan are dead, so they lost the battle, right? But David chose not to focus on the losses. He chose to focus on their victories. The battles they won, the things that they engaged in. So what does it mean for us? We will be remembered for our fight, for the battles that we engaged in, the focus of our lives in the fight we give ourselves to. So what battles do you want to be known for? Y'all, we are inside a politically charged climate right now. And some of us in this room, you're playing with fire. Because, because, because your battle is more for a political party than for the kingdom. And the kingdom has different ethics, has different values, has different hopes and desires. It doesn't hope in blue or red, but it ho- hopes in the bloodstained blood of Jesus Christ. So what do you want to fight for? So the other thing is to, to think about the, the fights in our lives. Maybe, maybe it is caring for the poor. Maybe it is the unborn, the, the needy, the broken, the homeless, the fatherless, the orphan, the disadvantaged. How is God calling you to fight? Who is he calling you to fight for? So my question is, where is God calling you to fight? Are you engaged in battles today that will you be proud for tomorrow? Will someone sit up in your funeral and say, well done. Verse 24, daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxurious things, who decked your garments with gold um, ornaments. And so this is a, so, so David is telling the, the, the daughters of Israel to, 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 um, to um, weep for Saul and to rejoice in what he's done for them. Saul brought a lot of prosperity towards Israel, a lot of money, a lot of wealth. Saul was known for his good looks, but David chose to remember the abundance that Saul brought to Israel. Israel was served by his his leadership. So what we can gather for us is that we will be remembered 
will be remembered by those from whom we serve. Family, you will not be remembered for your good looks. I know I'm a good looking fellow myself. Some of y'all are laughing because I'm kind of offended by that. Um, you, will not, you, you will not be remembered for your looks, for your financial portfolio, for the number of likes you get on social media. None of that stuff will matter. But what will matter is how you serve one another in this life. John 13, 34 to 35, it says, I give you a new commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also love one another by this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Christian, we should be known by our love for one another. Jesus poured his life out for us, gave us his all, so therefore we can give our all. Your life is not your own, so glorify God with your body. You belong to Christ. You were created to serve. You were created to, 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 to pour your life out for the sake of the gospel. So the question I want to ask you is who will benefit from your life? Will anyone remember how you served them? How you love them? How you care for them? Verse 25. How the mighty have fallen in the thick of battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were such a friend. You loved me more, what was more monstrous than the love of a woman. All right, so, so beforehand, uh, David tells um, Israel to publicly um, mourn the grief of Saul. Then he moves to a private mourning about Jonathan. And if you look in this text, um, I want to say this here, is that this text is not talking about homosexual activity or rather an intimate relationship between David and Jonathan. So what this text is getting at is getting at our friendship, which is my next point. You'll be remembered for the friendships that we cultivate. Y'all, in our society, we do not have a real category for this relationship between David and Jonathan. We think that all forms of, of intimacy are sexual. And so we confuse the difference between sexual intimacy and relational intimacy. And so sexual intimacy uh, combines the physical act of sex with the emotional closeness and trust. Parents, I'm sorry, uh, if, if your kids are under 12, uh, their relational intimacy is a space where a person can be uh, vulnerable with others. It doesn't take marriage to do that. It takes honesty, bravery, vulnerability. Of course, there's boundaries we shouldn't cross in Christian relationships. But the point to grab here is to cultivate deep relationships. We need intimacy. I remember back in college, there was a, a frat brother of mine. Uh, I was, we were on, on the phone talking and stuff. I was talking about my life and, and whatnot. And he ended the phone call and said, hey, brother, I, I love you. And then I didn't say anything. I said, all right, all right bye. Because I wasn't used to that. I, I wasn't used to another man telling me that, that, that he loved me. Because I wasn't used to that type of vulnerability. But the scripture calls us into this intimacy among believers. 
That's why many of us in this room, we whenever we greet one another, we give that awkward Christian side side hug with with, with a lip lip arm. Just just embrace it. Just just give give a big old hug. Y'all, it's beautiful. We make things so sexual in our society. It doesn't have to be that. We can be real. We can be raw. We can be intimate with believers. Don't be creepy. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> but some of us in this room, we, we're, we're lonely. We're, we're lonely. Because we don't know how to share our failures. We don't know how to share our grief. We don't know how to share our needs. We don't know how to share our concerns. So you're longing for relationship, but you're holding back. But you got to open yourself up to others. I know it's costly. I know that it's risky. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is a friend to you better than anybody else. That he will be with you when someone else fails you. Relationships are costly, but they're worth it. So, so dive in. But my biggest fear in this room is that many of us will never cultivate the friendships that we desire to be known for at the end of our, our lives because we're afraid of being, being known. So you give yourself to, to no one. And when you give yourself to no one, who will, who will remember the legacy you left behind in the name of Jesus? Who have you given yourself to? I'm not, not trying to condemn I'm trying to speak. Who have you give yourself to? The Christian calls to go make, make disciples, which means a vulnerable expression of giving yourself to another person. You see, discipleship is more about legacy. Legacy is more about who than what. Who are you, who are you leaving behind in the name of Jesus? For, for many of us, our next step is to join inside as a, a community group. Some of us have been hesitant. You know, I don't want to get in a group because it's too much. I got all this stuff and all, all the things. Hey, share, share your burdens with people. Hey, we can't go to a group because we can't find childcare. Well, that's a burden to be shared. That's, that's a vulnerable expression to be, to be met by the Christian community. We can't make it to this house. Well, we can move houses. Get, get yourself inside community to, to be known. But then, but then, then some of us, we are in biblical community, but we're sitting there isolated because you're not sharing anything. So my next step for you is for, for you to consider to share something about your life. Maybe it's asking your brother or sister inside that, that community, hey, can, can, can we go to, go to coffee? Can, 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 we, can we meet up? Because I got something to share. I just want to be known by somebody. Somebody. So, so what will you do it? So some questions I want us to consider is, are you allowing fear to keep you from engaging a brother or sister in Christ? What needs to change in your life to become more intimate in your relationships? What needs to change? But, but we got to keep moving. The last thing we need to see is that we will be remembered for our true glory. Verse 27. It says, how the mighty has fallen, the weapons of the war have perished. 
Three times we have seen this, this inside David's lament, how the mighty have fallen. If you look back at verse 19, but before that, it says, the splendor of Israel's, um, the, the splendor of Israel lies slain on your heights. That word splendor means glory. So he's talking about David and Jonathan being Israel's glory. How is that good news for them? Because they got defeated. How is that good news for you? In 1 Samuel 15, 29, Samuel describes God's glory like this. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man. That he should, that, that he should have regrets. And so, so, so God is saying here is that, that he did not regret the reality of making Saul or making Jonathan, because here's the reality. He's going to get glory from Saul in Jonathan's life. And so who is the real glory of Israel? Is it Saul or is it Jonathan? No, it's God. God is the real glory of Israel. And so my question for you is this. So who is your glory? Who is, who is your glory? Um, is your real glory God? Why, why, why am I mentioning this? Well, why am I mentioning this talking about glory? Well, some of us are going to walk away from this sermon with, with these five points. Hashtag achievers, and you're just going to just go like, hey, I am ready to rock and roll. I'm going to put all this stuff into place. But then the other you, you're having a slight panic. You're like, oh, shoot, like I need to do something with this. And I hate this message so, so much right now because it's making me think. But here's the reality of all of eternity. Your glory will be the, the Lord's glory. In eternity. You're going to be able to open your mouth and sing praises to the Lord. And, and, and what gets you ready for that in eternity is practicing that right now. Is that, is that daily we were created to glorify the Lord. We, we were created to reflect his image in every way. And when you fail or when you go to your fights and when you serve, you're serving out of the streets of the gospel. So what is your glory? Your glory belongs to the Lord because on one sunny Sunday, our Lord Jesus, he got him up out of that tomb and, and he lived and he died for sinners and then he resurrected for sinners and through him and unto him and for him. We were created for his glory. So I want to close with a personal story. Um, back in... 2018, um, I buried my uh, father. Um, it, it was a hard time. It was a hard time for my family, hard time for, yeah, everyone around. It, and as I sat at my dad's funeral, I was mesmerized by the stories that were shared about him. My, my dad was five foot three, 300 pounds, stubby, stubby man. He wasn't perfect, but he, he was a godly man. And I was able to experience his life in, in that moment. This, this man was a son of, of a sharecropper, one of 13. He grew up in poverty, became a, a believer later in life. And he wanted to change the narrative for himself and his family. He wanted to be, his life to be remembered differently from his family. 
So I, I remember people come, coming up saying, hey, I appreciate what he did for me. He drove all the way across the country to take me to go see my, see my child who was dying. My parents did foster care. They, they didn't have much. I remember my, my siblings flying in and into Lubbock, Texas, which is hard to get into. And they stood on stage and said, I didn't know my, my father, but he's, he's my father. I remember my, my, my cousins who, who were, some of them were abandoned by their parents and says, says he was more than an uncle to me. He was, he was my daddy. I remember my friends getting up on stage who were also pallbearers at his funeral that they got on stage and, and said that, that whenever they were homeless and helpless, they would turn to him. I had friends sleeping on my parents' floor in college because that's the type of man what my dad was. Then at the end of the, of the funeral, my, my two pastors, two former pastors, one black, one white, they got on stage and they surveyed the room. The room was the most diverse room I've ever seen. It was a mosaic of people, black, white, Puerto Rican, young, old, dope boys. Yeah, there was a smell of weed there. And C-suite executives. All there, all there. And my pastor, former pastor said, if this man impacted your life, please stand up. And everybody stood up. They all stood up. The whole room stood because he impacted them with the gospel. He wanted to be remembered for the sake of Jesus. Y'all, my, my, my daddy didn't leave me in any inheritance. We wouldn't have a lot, a lot of money. But what he did leave me with was a legacy. Legacy. Hope for the, for the gospel. That many, many are impacted for the sake of Jesus. You won't be perfect in this life. You won't get it all right. But how do you want to be remembered? Let, let me pray. Lord, um, there is a lot for us to process as we think about our lives and the life that you gave us. Lord, we're here for a moment and then, and then we're gone. Lord, teach us to number our days. Lord, teach us to, 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 to measure our thoughts and actions that bring glory to you. But Lord, I also ask for our brothers and sisters right now who are in deep mourning, Lord, to where the pain of life right now is so consuming that they don't know where, where to turn. Spirit will show them that they can, they can turn to you. Because you are our God, you are our, our comforter. So Lord, we praise you for this, this lament because we can examine our lives and, and look into it. And we praise you for the gospel. We love you, Christ, and we pray. Amen.